Area 10 Faith Community meets in the historic Bird Theater in Carytown in Richmond, Virginia. We worship together at 10 a.m. on Sunday mornings, both in person and online at youtube.com slash area10church. Kid-friendly programming is also available at the same time just down the street at 2810 at Community Gathering Place. We hope to see you at the Bird Theater soon. Now, on to this week's message. When was the last time that you were completely in the dark? And I mean literally, like pitch black darkness. For me, the last time was the winter storm that we had back in February of 2021. Um, It was a Saturday evening. Uh, The storm was starting to get really bad, and I was furiously typing an email to send to the entire church that we were not going to be having services at the bird in the morning, that we would be online only. Ironic, right? I pressed send on the email, and I heard it swoosh into my own inbox, and then not five seconds later, the power went out. It was completely black in our little house. There were no street lights outside. Uh, Even the hum of the uh, heater and the music that we had playing in the background stopped instantly. It was quiet and dark. The sun had already set, and there was really nowhere to go because there was an ice storm outside. Uh, We just had these little headlamps that we could wear around the house to to make sure that we could get things in order. And we talked about maybe making a hot cup of tea on the gas stove or reading a book, but ultimately it was just so dark and so quiet. Even though it was maybe 7 or 8 p.m., we just decided to throw a couple of extra blankets on the bed and go to sleep. And before the invention of the electric light bulb, did you know that Americans would get an average of 11 hours of sleep? There was really nothing else to do once the sun went down. Uh, The electric light bulb was invented in the late 1870s, and Americans didn't have access to electricity in most homes until around 1925. Before that, people relied on alternative sources of power, or light, like candles or oil lamps, but those were consumable and relatively expensive. In Jesus' day, objects, uh, oil lamps had a very simple design. Especially in Jewish communities, they were a simple, shallow clay vessel with a hole off to the side to hold the wick. And in chapter 8 of Luke, Jesus takes this ordinary household objects and makes a life lesson for us. He says, No one lights a lamp and hides it in a clay jar or puts it under a bed. Instead, they put it on a stand so that those who come in can see the light. And if you grew up in church or were even just aware of church culture as you were growing up, you probably heard the children's song, this little light of mine, I'm gonna let it shine. And kids love this song because there's all kinds of little silly things that you do throughout it. Uh, One verse goes, hide it under a bushel. No, I'm going to let it shine. And all the kids in VBS would just scream, no, at the top of their lungs. And that was pretty much the only time they could get away with it, and that was a good thing. My personal favorite was the line that said, won't let Satan it out. I'm going to let it shine. But we understood even at a young age that this idea that the light that Jesus was talking about was not an actual candle or oil lamp. The light represents the gospel. And how when we learn about the love and grace of Jesus, that that love and grace is meant to be shared with others. If you have access to light and your neighbor's in the dark, 
Isn't it a good thing, a kind thing, to share that light with them? Something gets lost when we try to keep it hidden or keep it to ourselves. Luke 8, 17 through 18, Jesus continues. He says, For nothing, there is nothing hidden that will not be disclosed, and nothing concealed that will not be known or brought into the open. Therefore, consider carefully how you listen. Whoever has will be given more. Whoever does not have, even what they think they have, will be taken from them. Here, Jesus is saying that we need to take a serious look at not just hearing the gospel, but what we do with that hearing. We need to respond to it appropriately because it doesn't do us any good to hear the most amazing TED talk ever or a perfect Sunday morning message if it doesn't actually change anything inside of us or anything in our lives. He's saying the deeper that you dig into faith and scripture and the Christian life, the more the truths of God will be revealed to you. And we each have a personal responsibility to share that faith, not because we earn our salvation through it, but because it's a natural, healthy byproduct of a healthy living faith. When you follow Jesus, everything changes. In June, I had the privilege of traveling to a coastal city in Turkey to visit a missionary family there that we support. Now, because this live stream is shared throughout the world, I can't give any specific names or details, but I do wanna share with you this experience that we had. So we were so excited to visit this family. Uh, many of you love them just like I do, and we were going to see their work firsthand. Now, we gathered a team, and our first job as a team was essentially to be pack mules. We filled nine large duffel bags full of valuable commodities from the United States, like Easy Mac, beef jerky, American footballs, Lego sets, and browned sugar to surprise and delight not just the family that we were visiting, but the families that they were in community with, their children, and the students around Eurasia that they minister to. And as soon as we landed, we hit the ground running. In the first 48 hours, the guys hosted an early morning fitness class. That night, I taught a painting class to a group of ladies that the women of that team were actively discipling. And Kelly made it her personal mission to ensure that our host family did not do a single extra dish or extra load of laundry because of our presence. And to be honest, I think we were starting to feel a little good about how much we had been able to accomplish in such a short amount of time. On Monday morning, our host, who I'm gonna call Amanda, she put us on an unair-conditioned bus and sent us across town to the home of one of her friends and missionary partner, who I will call Tammy. And Tammy, she was amazing. Um, she invited us into her home, she told us how she grew up in Spain, and how she felt the call as a, a teenager, that she was meant to be a missionary but she didn't know where exactly to go. And so she decided to wait and listen for God to tell her specifically where he was sending her. And in the meantime, she pursued a job in social work. She continued to serve in her local church and she waited and she prayed for God to tell her what was next. She waited for weeks and weeks turned into months and months turned into years. It was 10 years before she had a clear idea of what God wanted from her. And God answered her, but it was not an easy answer. He was calling her to reach the Persian people of the Islamic Republic of Iran. 
And if you don't know, Iran is an authoritarian government where the population is approximately 98% Muslim. It's not illegal to be an indigenous Christian or a, a Christian by your ethnicity, but it is illegal and even punishable by death for Muslims to commit the crime of apostasy, which means converting to Christianity. Many new Christians in Iran find their homes searched. They're thrown in prison. They're tortured. And for women who go through this, they may suffer even worse harm by the hands of their captors. Up until this point, it had been nearly impossible for Tammy to enter Iran. She had been studying the language, living in countries surrounding the border, meeting people um, who were Persian, who had come from Iran, developing relationships with them. But she hadn't been able to actually visit there herself. But as we sat in her living room, she told us that she, she really should have been packing because she had been accepted into a six-week Persian language learning program at a university in Tehran, and she was leaving the next morning. But before she left, she wanted to share her heart with us and to introduce us to one of her friends. And that's how we met a young Persian woman named, um, well, I'll call her Rebecca. She joined us at Tammy's house for lunch and shared her story with us as well. Rebecca told us about how uh, when she was a young adult, her mom became very, very sick. She was paralyzed from the neck down, and the doctors had no explanation. Then her sister's boyfriend, who happened to be a Christian, prayed for their mother, and she experienced a miraculous healing that the doctors also could not explain. Rebecca's sister and her mother immediately believed and became Christians, but Rebecca she resisted. She was ashamed of her mother and sister. She was afraid of the danger that they, they would put her in. And she was afraid that they were betraying the true God. She fought and resisted Jesus. But in her words, he would not let her go. He beckoned her. And as much as she fought accepting him, he fought for her. And eventually, she couldn't help but believe. Since becoming a Christian, she and her sister left Iran to move to Turkey where they could openly serve in a local ministry. Rebecca's mother, however, is still in Iran today. And recently, because of Rebecca and her sister's faith, her mother and father's home was searched. Now her mother knew that this was a possibility and therefore did not keep any Christian paraphernalia in her home. So she is a Christian, but she has no Bible to study. She has no worship lyrics that she can write down to remember. She has no books to grow her faith. Instead, whenever she can, she visits her daughters, and together they memorize and read scripture, they learn worship songs, and they pray for their father that he would also become a follower of Jesus. We asked Rebecca if any of them ever regretted following Jesus because of all the danger that had put them and their family into, the division between them and their father, everything that that had caused, um, moving to another country, starting a new life. But without hesitation, she said no. No, all the fear, the way it kept their family apart, nothing was more valuable than the love of Jesus. They would never trade their own safety for their faith. We listened in awe to her story. We asked all kinds of questions. Um, and then eventually we asked Rebecca if she had any questions for us. 
the one question that she had was, what's it like sharing your faith in the United States? And I honestly think that she was looking um, in excitement to be encouraged by what it was like to share the gospel in a country where you have freedom of religion. But I felt a heavy weight on my chest. My family isn't at risk for simply being associated with me, and I have no fear of being imprisoned or beaten or raped because of my faith. The most genuine risk that I suffer by bringing Jesus up in everyday conversation is a weird look or an awkward moment. But my mind jumps to the worst case scenario, convincing me that I'm going to jeopardize this relationship and then I'm never gonna be able to tell them about Jesus. And that possibility has frozen me into silence more times than I like to admit, especially on camera, especially in front of my entire faith community. But when was the last time that I actively shared my faith? When have I sat down with someone who didn't believe to tell them about the love of God? I, I work at a church, <laughs> I'm ordained, but often I find myself spending so much time with my faith community that I don't find opportunities to share my faith with people who don't already believe. My non-Christian friends certain certainly know <laughs> that I believe in Jesus, but when was the last time that I actively engaged them in a conversation to tell them why I believe? When I left on a plane to go to Turkey, I have to admit that I was a little proud of myself. I was doing a good thing and going halfway across the world to be a light in a dark place. But the light of Jesus was already shining brightly in Turkey before I ever arrived. And thanks to the daily relationship that Amanda and Tammy and Rebecca have committed to developing day after day. The love of Jesus is being spread in Turkey long before I ever arrived. And it is an honor and a privilege for me to be able to share what is going on there. Because when you follow Jesus, everything changes whether it be going out to the ends of the earth or talking to a neighbor over the fence. Jesus asks each of us to let our light burn brightly. If we truly believe, then the way we live our lives changes. The way we speak, the way we interact with others in the world changes. Jesus redefines the meaning of a simple oil lamp, something that his followers would have seen every single day to remind them of this truth, to share the hope of the gospel. But Jesus isn't done redefining the way we look at the world yet. He can, well, in Luke 8, 19 through 20, we have a story. Now Jesus' mother and brothers came to see him, but they were not able to get near to him because of the crowd. Someone told him, your mother and brothers are standing outside wanting to see you. So we're shifting gears a little bit. We're going from Jesus teaching a parable into a real life interaction. This actually happened. And at the height of Jesus's ministry, he would have hundreds if not thousands of people show up wherever he was. And honestly, it was really hard to get face-to-face -face time with Jesus. Even his mother and brothers had a hard time getting to him. But a message gets to Jesus 
that his family's waiting outside to talk to him. And he could have just said, okay, cool, I'll see him in a minute. But if that was what happened, then this wouldn't be written down in the Bible. Instead, he uses that interaction to transform an ordinary moment that could have been easily forgotten, to change how we think. He replied, my mother and brothers are those who hear God's word and put it into practice. He takes a simple moment and he completely redefines our idea of what it means to be a family. In a moment, he erases the border that we try to place between biological and chosen family. I know that Many of us have a pretty good idea or concept of what a chosen family is. Um, we understand that not all families look the same. Some families are built through the beautiful process of adoption. Some families are built when our own families don't understand us or we move on and we build our own community and family of friends. Those with older siblings know the feeling when a teacher looks at the roll call on the first day and says, oh, you're so-and-so's younger sibling. <laughs> we don't like to be defined by who we're related to. But in Jesus' day, and in many communities around the world even today, you're defined by who your parents are and who your siblings are. And this idea that you can redefine your identity by choosing to associate with a different group of people was pretty revolutionary. David Guzik puts it this way, Jesus indicated that his closest family is made up of those who hear and obey God's word. We draw close to Jesus by hearing his word and doing it. In doing so, we gain a closer relationship with him than even a normally understood family relationship. And we've seen this several times now where Jesus takes a simple question or idea and he just tracks it on a completely different path. John the Baptist asks if he's the Messiah and Jesus starts spouting Old Testament prophecy. Uh, a Pharisee invites him into his home for dinner and a sinful woman, sinful woman, comes and interrupts their meal and Jesus ends up telling the Pharisee what he can learn from the sinful woman's example. Jesus is constantly overturning what is expected of him and creating a world that is more inclusive with dignity and hope available to everyone. Jesus actively redefines our world because when you follow Jesus, everything changes. Jesus takes these ordinary mundane moments in our lives and makes them extraordinary. This is our last story for today. It starts in verse 22. One day, Jesus said to his disciples, let's go over to the other side of the lake. So they got into a boat and set out. Again, very normal day, Nothing unusual here, but it's in the Bible, so we know something's about to happen. As they sailed, he fell asleep. A squall came down on the lake so that the boat was being swamped and they were in great danger. The disciples went and woke him saying, Master, Master, we're going to drown. He got up and he rebuked the wind and the raging waters. The storm subsided and all was calm. Where's your faith, he asked his disciples. In fear and amazement, they asked one another, who is this? He commands even the winds and the water, and they obey him. The lake in the story is the Sea of Galilee, and it's known even today for the sudden violent storms that can come upon it. There's uh, 
cool air that would come over the mountains and then drop down into the sea, which is about 700 feet below the sea level, and that sudden temperature shift will cause dramatic changes in the weather. Now, Jesus had a lot of followers of his who were fishermen. They would have been prepared for this. They're pretty good on a boat, but this storm was so powerful that it had them fearing for their lives. And the interesting thing about this passage is that they're obviously afraid of the storm as it rages. They're afraid they're gonna die. But when Jesus silences the storm, their fear doesn't reside. But what they're afraid of changes. Now, they're terrified of what Jesus has done and what that means about who he is. We've all heard the stories at this point. If you've been coming and, and listening as we walk through This is the Way series, just following Jesus through his earthly ministry, the miracles that he was performing. He was healing the sick, he was raising the dead, and these are huge reality-bending events. The disciples had witnessed them firsthand. So why does this miracle of Jesus, why does it scare them? We have a hint in the Psalms of David. Psalm 89 says, O Lord, God of hosts, who is like you, O Lord? Your faithfulness surrounds you. You rule the raging of the sea. When waves rise, you still them. Psalm 65 says, By awesome deeds you answer us with righteousness, O God of our salvation, the hope of all the ends of the earth and of the farthest seas, the one by who his strength is established, the mountains, being girded with might, who stills the roaring of the seas, the roaring of the waves, the tumult of the pe people, so that those who dwell at the ends of the earth are in awe at your signs. And Psalm 107, They saw the deeds of the Lord, his wondrous works in the deep, for he commanded and raised the stormy wind which lifted up the waves of the sea. They mounted up to the heaven, they went down to the depths, their courage melted away in their evil plight. They reeled and staggered like drunken men and were at their wits end. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble and he delivered them from their distress. He made the storm be still and the waves of the sea were hushed. Prophets in the Old Testament could heal the sick. There's a few prophets who even raised the dead. There's a story of one prophet who prayed to God to send down fire from heaven and a fire literally came down to burn a sacrificial offering. But no prophet has ever controlled the weather. That, my friends, is an eighth level transmutation spell and that is a whole new level of power. The disciples are still coming to terms with the fact that Jesus isn't just a teacher. He's not just a prophet. They're still wrapping their minds around Jesus as the Messiah, their savior and deliverance. But this miracle, this is something that only God himself can do. In Mark 4:39, we have Mark's retelling of this same story. And he quotes Jesus as saying, peace, be still. And those words are what quiet the wind and the waves. Now, Luke didn't specifically record what Jesus said to the storm. He just says he rebuked them. But I think it's interesting that Mark included that specific detail. It's possible that it's a hearkening to Psalm 46, which says, be still and know that I am God. God says, be still and know that I am God. The wind and the waves, 
They recognized Jesus' voice because he was the one that spoke them into existence. The disciples are afraid because they are starting to realize that they're not just in the presence of a prophet or a savior, but of God. When people come into contact with God anywhere in scripture, whether it just be seeing the hem of his robe as it passes, or a pillar of fire by night, or an angelic messenger delivering a word from their Lord, their instinctive response is fear and awe. People literally fall down flat on their faces. Even in dreams, they touch hot coals to their lips to try and purge their sins before coming into the presence of God. The disciples are right to be afraid in this moment. Perhaps for the first time ever, they're starting to see that this man, Jesus, is not just son of God, not just son of man, but son of God. These three stories are pretty different. One is a parable, another is just a day-to-day interaction, and another is a miracle that proves the divinity of Jesus. The one through line that we have, perhaps why Luke stacks these stories back to back, is that life with Jesus is going to throw you for a loop. It's not gonna be what you expected. And following Jesus means going down a radical, life-altering path that will not leave you unchanged. Because when you follow Jesus, everything changes. And if you call yourself a follower of Jesus, but you haven't had to adjust your lifestyle or struggle with the reality of what God calls you to do, you may not be following him very closely. In these passages, we see Jesus challenging his followers, challenging them to live differently than the rest of the world, every single day. And if we actually listen to him and take these difficult steps that he asks of us, then Jesus can take our ordinary mundane lives and make them extraordinary. So my question for you is how has Jesus changed your life? I think there's a reason that you're here. There's a reason that you chose to sit in front of a television or on your phone and hear a little bit more about the story of Jesus. What is it about Jesus that keeps you coming back? What has he done for you? What has he shown you? What has he actually given you or changed in you? And that, whatever that is, that is a part of your story that's worth sharing. That is a spark that can ignite a fire of what God can do through you in the world. Because when you follow Jesus, everything changes. I was a very shy, awkward kid. I've told stories before about that. I would um, hide under tables at youth group to eat my snack because I didn't like being out in front of people all the time. Like I said, weird kid. Um, But I never imagined myself as a public speaker. I am not a natural at it at all. And I know that many of you will probably remember when I first came on staff at Area 10 and I would get on stage with a microphone in my hand and basically anything that went through my head would come out of my mouth into the microphone. The staff would actually tease me as being like that dog from the movie Up who would get distracted every time he saw a squirrel. (laughs) So standing here teaching is not a place that I ever imagined that I would be. But God has been pushing me. 
He wants me to grow in this area and share what I've learned about him. And what I've learned by getting up on stage or in front of a camera is that by opening my heart, by sharing bits and pieces of my story, that God can use that and he can reveal himself to the world through that. I want you to start sharing your story. As in like learning to actually speak it out loud or writing it down with the intention of another person seeing it. Because what God has done in you and through you is beautiful and unique. And it's a living testimony to how he is still active in the world. In a couple of weeks, we're going to start a new message series that's about living our lives wide open, not being afraid to share what God has done in our life with a lost and broken world. And we're going to be actually practicing to share our stories on paper, in conversation, on camera, so that our entire faith community, that our entire city and maybe the entire world can hear the testimony of a hundred voices speaking praise to God for all that he's done. In light of these three stories of how Jesus took simple, ordinary objects or simple, ordinary moments and made them extraordinary, share how God has changed your life without fear of how it compares to the stories of others and without looking for an opportunity to be the hero, but to show how Jesus is the hero of your story. We've actually set up a website to help you do this. You can pull out your phone now if you want. I know it's within arm's reach, if not already there. And go to a10story.com, a10story.com. You'll see a very simple form there if you click on share your story. And it has five or six story prompts to help you get started. You can answer the question, how has God changed your life? Or you can pick a more specific story prompt. And we're going to be collecting those stories over the next coming weeks and sharing them online on that website. For some of your stories, we might reach out to see if you're interested in sharing it as like a podcast style interview or making a short video. Um, But this week, take time to pull up that website, a10story.com, and process how God has changed your life and start writing those things down regardless of where it goes or how many people read it, it's a great opportunity to practice sharing your story and allow your life to be a light in the lives of others. And if you aren't there yet, maybe you're still relatively new to this faith thing or you're in the middle of something really hard and you just don't know how God plays into it all yet, I wanna encourage you to still go to that site and read the stories of others. Read about how other people have experienced God in the midst of pain and see how they see him working in their lives. Be a witness to the goodness of God in the hearts and minds of others. And maybe it will reveal to you how God has actually been a part of your story all along. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for these stories in the book of Luke that share how you were not confined to the status quo, but you were constantly breaking barriers, constantly exceeding expectations, constantly changing the hearts and minds of people around you with simple, ordinary moments. 
We love you. We love all that you've already done in our lives, and I ask that we just take the time to process, to see, to bear witness to the moments where you interceded on our behalf, that you actually changed our lives for the better. And maybe we be bold enough, maybe we be brave enough to share those, whether it be through a website or by sitting down with a cup of coffee and a friend and sharing you and your love. God, be with us as we go out this week. May we find those opportunities to share. May we remember all of the ways that you've changed our lives. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.